Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Crisis Next Door. A weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world. With host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. The U.S. is pulling its forces out of Syria, a move that's caught a lot of people off guard. President Trump chalks the move up to his view that the U.S. has defeated ISIS in Syria. The Crisis Next Door is joined by Seth Jones, director of the Transnational Threats Project and a senior advisor to the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Seth, thanks for coming back on the program. It's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Seth, how much of a game changer is the U.S. pulling out of Syria? Well, it's an important game changer in a few respects. One is it hands Syria now entirely to uh, the Assad government and its two major allies, uh, Iran and Russia. So if the U.S. wanted to continue to influence what was going on against its uh, two of its primary state competitors, the Russians and the Iranians, it's now turned its tail and is walking away. The other issue is that Uh, The Islamic State and other groups, including al-Qaeda, present in Syria right now, um, now no longer have, at least for the short term, a major balancer against them in eastern parts of the country, which is where the U.S. has been operating with the Syrian Democratic Forces. So this relieves pressure on the Islamic State for the moment in the east. Trump thinks that ISIS has been defeated. Vladimir Putin came out and agreed with President Trump that ISIS has been defeated. What's your take on that? How is ISIS performing right now? Well, I I think uh, the assessments that we've done at the Center for Strategic International Studies and the assessments coming from the U.S. government and from uh, U.S. allies in uh, in, in Europe are that Syria remains the largest sanctuary for jihadist groups anywhere in the world. Our estimates are... Uh, a low of about 40,000 and a high as many 70,000 jihadist fighters operating in Syria. Now, many of them are going to be al-Qaeda-linked groups operating in the West right now, not all in the East. But to argue that the Islamic State has been defeated is, is not just wrong, because it hasn't, but it also misunderstands the number of other groups, including the one that hit us on 9-11, that are still present. Uh, The U.S. has long backed the Syrian Democratic Forces in the fight against ISIS, and the Kurdish YPG make up the bulk of that group's fighters. Is that force now doomed without active U.S. ground support? And and even broader than that, the Kurds in general, they they must feel like they're just left high and dry once again. Well, I I think the the pattern now of providing assistance, including on the ground to a group, in this case, the Syrian Democratic Forces the U.S. has done, and then simply to walk away when it's convenient sends a terrible message to potential allies down the road that the U.S. has to partner with it. Um, are, are the Kurds doomed? Not necessarily. I mean, the Kurds are not entirely a centralized group across multiple countries in the region. Even in Syria, 
I, I would suspect that the Assad regime, the Russians in particular, are going to reach out to SDF forces to work with those that will be useful from a counterterrorism perspective. The ones operating in the north of the country, though, they are going to be on the receiving end of a pretty heavy Turkish offensive. And Turkey's President Erdogan has been threatening that move on Kurdish forces for quite some time. Do you think that influence Trump's decision? Does this open the door for Erdogan for just a massive assault on northern Syria? Well, I, I think the, uh, the, the U.S. Uh, leaving bases like in Manbij up in the, near the Turkish border opens up more options for the Turkish government against Kurdish forces operating on the Syrian side of the border. Uh, I think some areas the, the, the Turks are going to want to coordinate and work with the Russians and the Assad regime. So how they operate, how the Turks operate may vary a little bit depending on the area. But I think without a doubt, in central parts, there's a central northern parts of Syria and, and in the east, uh, I think the Turks are going to go heavy. Earlier this year, the Turks assaulted the Kurdish enclave of Afrin, didn't meet nearly as much resistance as was expected. Will it be a different story if Ankara moves on Manjib and other Kurdish strongholds? Well, we'll see. Uh, the, the question is, how do the Kurds respond? Um, and uh, they, they could certainly shift strategies and go into a guerrilla campaign and not stand up and fight Turkish forces, in which case they sort of blend back into the population. Some could also move temporarily into other countries, northern parts of Iraq, from exa for example, where there's a large Kurdish population. So the answer may in part depend on what strategy Kurdish forces now adopt and how much they're willing to actually take on directly the Turkish government. How strong are the Kurdish forces at this moment? They've obviously had a lot of U.S. material and manpower support. Are they strong enough to hold off the Turks for a while, or is a guerrilla campaign really their best hope for surviving long term? I, I think what they'll probably do is adopt various approaches in areas depending on the strength of Turkish uh, units that they face. But they, they, they are a very competent fighting force. The Syrian Democratic Forces were the primary ground component against a well-armed, uh, battle-tested Islamic State in Raqqa and other parts of Syria, and they pounded them pretty badly. I mean, they certainly were helped by U.S. special operations, conventional forces, U.S. and allied air power, but they are, they are a competent ground force. So in areas where they decide to stand up and fight whether it's Turkish or Turkish-supported proxy groups, they will be a tough organization to fight. Do you think this will alter the Kurds' future relationship with the U.S.? This is the second time that the U.S. has relied on Kurds to help in their fight against somebody else and yet is not standing by them. Is this pretty much going to be it for U.S.-Kurdish relations, provided something else doesn't happen quickly in the near future? I mean, we'll have to see. Uh, you know, partially part depends on what the U.S. actually does, whether it completely abandons uh, the Kurds. There are options, to be clear, where the U.S. could continue to provide money, uh, weapons, assistance, and even trading from neighboring countries to Kurds operating in Syria. Pulling out U.S. forces from Syria itself does not mean that aid has to stop. So if some of that continues, it may be able to limit the damage that's been done. But there, there is certainly a reputational cost uh, that's come along with this as well. Could this be seen as the U.S. choosing Turkey over the Kurds? Does the U.S. see Turkey as a more important ally in countering either Iran or Russia in the Middle East while keeping NATO intact? 
I think the primary way to see this, and the president has essentially said this, is through a domestic lens. I mean, one could certainly see this as uh, prioritizing the Turks over some others. But I think in the, in the end of the day, uh, this was uh, President Trump uh, following through on a campaign promise that he made and one that uh, where, where he wanted to get American forces out. It now raises the question about whether he'll also continue in other countries, including pulling U.S. forces out of Afghanistan. You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the U.S. withdrawal from Syria with Seth Jones, director of the Transnational Threats Project and a senior advisor to the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. You mentioned earlier that Russia and Iran are pretty happy about the U.S. withdrawal. How does each country benefit from this in Syria and elsewhere? Well, for the Russians, the uh, Russians have already done fairly well. Uh, with Russian support, the Assad regime has already reconquered most territory in western parts of the country, almost all the major cities. Uh, the Russians have a naval base in Tartus. They've, they also have a, a major uh, air airstrip and air, air base that they use out of Latakia. So the Russians have a significant power projection capability uh, from, uh, from Syria right now. This now gives the Russians uh, the east of the country as well. So I, the, the, the Russians are, are slowly but surely becoming the dominant Middle East power. This should be viewed, the U.S. decision should be viewed in broader geostrategic terms. The U.S. is essentially walking away or partly walking away from the Middle East. The Russians are filling the vacuum. So are the Iranians. The U.S. departure from the U.S. base uh, around Al-Tamf will open up a corridor uh, for Iranian people uh, weapons and non-weapon uh, types of material moving through Iraq into southern Syria, where that route's been blocked by U.S. forces, and into Lebanon. That opens up an Iranian line of communication now. That's got to make Israel really happy at this point. Obviously, Israel very concerned about Iran and it, the so-called Shiite crescent moving into Lebanon and Hezbollah. How concerned is Israel about this? What do you think it's going to do as the U.S. pulls out of Syria? Well, the Israelis have long been concerned that uh, they are now in, in danger of being hit from Iran or Iranian proxies like Hezbollah, not just from southern Lebanon, where we've seen various wars, including in 2006, but also now from Syria. This is why the Israelis have struck targets in Syria. I think what this means for Israel right now is that its primary foreign power that it needs to work with to try to back the Iranians off is the Russians. So this may we may over time see a closer relationship by necessity between the Isra between the Israelis and the Russians. Uh, and that 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 I think that trend is not helpful for the U.S. It's pretty incredible when you think of these shifting alliances that occur. Now, this has always happened in the Middle East, but in one country, Syria, where you've got Iran, Russia, Turkey, Israel, all shifting around. Is this something that we could continue to see happen where eventually one day current allies like Iran and Russia might find themselves at odds over Syria because of Israel's potential relationship with Russia or Turkey? I, I think Syria right now has probably the largest number of conflict dyads, that is the, the possibilities for war among two or more countries than almost anywhere else on the planet, especially from well-armed powers. There are options for Israeli uh, uh, Iranian fighting. There are possibilities for Turkish-Russian, as we've seen, Turkish-Syrian. 
Um, there are multiple possibilities for a conflict between uh, a number of major powers in the region. And I, I, I don't think this changes the uh, equation much, except that it probably means that you're pulling out the probability of the U.S. now getting engaged, at least accidentally, in a war with one of those states. Do you think the U.S. pulling out will prolong the Syrian civil war, or might this speed it up if, if per se, Russia is able to gain more control to aid the Assad government in defeating various rebel groups? Well, the, 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 uh, the length of the Syrian war will depend on several factors, regardless of whether the Americans are there. One is going to be how competent is Assad or whoever comes after him as a leader. There are a lot of grievances against the Assad government, particularly among Sunni Arabs in the country. If that persists, economic conditions, uh, sectarian uh, divisions, I expect the civil war to continue. If a number of countries continue to provide assistance to rebel groups, uh, the Turks provide some to rebel groups operating against uh, Kurdish forces. Uh, Gulf states provide assistance to other rebel groups. If that outside assistance continues, I think we'll see the Syrian war drag on regardless of the U.S. withdrawal. Seth, there are arguments that you need a strong central state to counter insurgencies like ISIS. Does this give Assad greater hope of maintaining power? Better to have an authoritarian in control than a fractured country with extremist groups flourishing? This is something that the Syrians have been long asking for, which is a U.S. departure. I think what they want is a is an offensive in the east so that they can do exactly as you just noted, uh, crush resistance, control the area, much like they had before 2011 when the war began. So, I mean, I think there there is a strong argument coming from Damascus that the U.S. departure opens up the possibility that the Syrian government can retake most of the territory it has lost, and then unify its support base. Incredible to see these rapid changes occurring across the Middle East. And one has to wonder how Saudi Arabia also views the U.S. pulling out, given their animosities with Iran and the impact on the region itself, too. I think one of the concerns that not just the Saudis, but a number of countries have had is actually how this happened, not even just what happened. I mean, what we what we know right now is the... Uh, president made a decision, uh, I understand, somewhere around the time of Friday uh, of last week, where he made a decision that the uh, his campaign promise and his promise earlier this year to pull out U.S. forces had not been met. So he was following through on that campaign promise and his promise earlier this year without really addressing his government, without having a National Security Council meeting without giving instructions uh, and any kind of advanced notice to others in the U.S. government, he sets, sets a tweet out. Uh, and the U, much of the U.S. government is caught, caught off guard. So I think one of the concerns that the Saudis and others have had is this is not a well-functioning U.S. national security system. The fact that most of the government, even U.S. forces operating in Syria, were taken completely by surprise means that the U.S. national security system is almost flying by the seat of its pants right now. And that is something I think that has that a number of capitals have expressed some concern about. And as you mentioned, this will impact the U.S. elsewhere. You have to wonder what troops on the ground in Afghanistan and officers in other countries where U.S. troops are currently based are thinking about their current presence and where their future lies in, in their current engagements. Uh, and, 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 and if the decision is made at some point to pull U.S. forces out of a place like Afghanistan, will there even be advanced notice? 
Uh, and will U.S. diplomats in the region, military officials in the region, even get advanced warning? Or will the first major warning that they get be a tweet from the president of the United States and put them in a position where they now have to react to what their government has said? I mean, this is not the way most Republican and Democratic administrations operate. They operate I think, much more strategically, make decisions, push down command and control, and then make the public announcement after they've gotten all the ducks in order. This is not the way this was done. It's going to be interesting to see the fallout. The New York Times reporting that Kurds are now considering releasing over 3,000 captured ISIS fighters if U.S. troops leave. Do you see that as an idle threat? Is this something that we could see allies continue to do if the U.S. pulls back from their agreements with their allies? There are a number of foreign fighters that are under the control of uh, Syrian Democratic and other forces in Syria. Um, a number of countries, including in Europe, they do not want these fighters back. The U.S. has been trying to negotiate a third-party movement of these fighters. The Syrians release these individuals back into Syria. Suddenly, you have hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, well-armed, or at least will will get access to arms quickly, um, seasoned, indoctrinated terrorists that have fought Western and other forces now uh, on the run uh, and operating freely in Syria and potentially Iraq as well. So that would be a catastrophic development if the Syrians let out of jail everybody they have right now. If there are two certainties in Syria right now, it's death and uncertainty, and it looks like that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. Sadly, uh, I think based on U.S. decisions, how they were made, and the, the changing war in Syria right now, hard to predict what happens next. Seth, thank you very much for joining us again here on The Crisis Next Door. Thank you very much. Glad to be on. We've been joined by Seth Jones, director of the Transnational Threats Project and a senior advisor to the International Security Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.